Hey, buddy, good morning. How are we doing? It's really cool to be here. And I love that uh, you guys have gotten rid of that embarrassing thing where you make everyone try to remember their names. Some of you that have been around a while, you miss that probably. I don't. I'm a guest, and you would always do that tricky thing where you'd have to learn the name of someone next to you, and then you'd get a quiz on it, but you didn't know a quiz was coming when you were new. So I like this COVID thing, this COVID greeting better. So anyway, it's great to be with you. Uh, Like Anthony said, my name is Luke, and um, I help lead at the Redemption Gateway Congregation, which is in the far southeast part of uh, Maricopa County and the Phoenix metro area. We have some Gateway alumni here. So it's uh, cool to have that today, as well as um, just uh, from time to time in the summer, folks from Gateway will come up and we'll uh, worship with you. And that's really cool. I'm also part of the executive team uh, that helps kind of provide oversight and leadership to redemption. I'm married uh, to Molly. We've uh, been married 19 years and have four kids. Our oldest, Abby, is a freshman in high school. She's 14. Our youngest is Hank. And he's four years old. So this year I actually have high school, middle school, elementary school, preschool. So if I look tired, it's because I am. Uh, But it is great to uh, see you, great to be with you today. Um, We're continuing in this series in the Gospel of John where we've been kind of figuring out who is this Jesus character. And I wanted to begin with this uh, kind of well-known quote by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and an author, and here's what he said. This is a pretty staggering claim, actually, to consider what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, that may not be what you thought coming in here today, the most important thing about you. And yet, if we are made in the image of God, and if we will someday give account to God, then what we think about God and who he is and what he's like is really, really, really important. And there's lots of different ways that we tend to think about God that really just don't line up with scripture. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a religious person or not, my guess is that at different times, and even right now, you might be influenced by some of these different views of God. Maybe you've been influenced by the Luke Skywalker God. It's kind of the force. He's momentum and energy and light and a wavelength. I think I walked by some stores in downtown Flagstaff last night where there were some crystals that would connect with this Luke Skywalker God, right? Maybe, maybe that's kind of your thing. Uh, maybe your God is more of the Siri God, right? You, you only look to him when you need help or when you have a question, and then it's off to the rest of your normal life. Maybe your view of God is, is the, the grandpa God. He's quiet. He's sweet. He's always got candy in his pocket. He's ready to slip you a 20. He's a little forgetful. You know, like he's not totally there. Uh, but, but he's sweet and he loves everybody and he's nice and he's not expecting too much. He's, he's kind of like the man upstairs. Maybe your view of God is more of the scorekeeper God. This would be the opposite of the grandpa God who's sweet and nice. The scorekeeper God, instead, he's the one that has agents everywhere, angels especially, and they have clipboards. 
and they are keeping score of all the good things you did and all the bad things you did, and they are keeping track of everything you do and everything you think and everything you say, and they are keeping score and measuring your life. Related to the scorekeeper God is the doomsday God. Maybe you believe in the doomsday God, or maybe you're trying to escape what you grew up in with the doomsday God. The doomsday God is all hellfire and damnation all the time. The doomsday God is God is just waiting, he's pouncing, he's ready, and he just cannot wait to clobber you with judgment. Maybe you grew up with a God like that. Maybe some of you have grown up with this kind of stained glass God. The stained glass God, he only lives at church. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know what a stained glass God looks like in a high school auditorium, but... But the stained glass God, he's only at church. And so what you, what you do on the way to church matters, and what you do at church matters, and what you do on the way home from church matters, but really the rest of life, like, hey, whatever, God's just kind of at church. That's where he lives. Or maybe finally you've kind of had a belief in a sort of Stepford God. Have you ever uh, seen the movie Stepford Wives? It's kind of old now. But the Stepford Wives was kind of this story. The story was told a number of different ways. And, and what happened is you had all these rich men uh, who were not happy with the fact that their wives would talk back to them. And so what they did was they uh, basically um, took out their brains and replaced them with these kind of computer-type brains where these wives would just be very uh, kind and docile and they would always just say, yes, dear, yes, dear, whatever you want, dear, okay, dear. Do you have a Stepford God? He never contradicts you. He never tells you you're wrong. He just says, yes, dear, whatever you want, dear. See, we have lots of different views about God, and Tozer says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And here's the good news that we've been seeing in this Gospel of John is that we do not have to guess at what God is like. We don't have to guess. God is not just one of these different options or some mixture of all of them. He's not a buffet line where we pick the God we want. God has been revealed to us in Jesus. What is God like? He's like Jesus. Jesus will say this a number of chapters from now. I don't know what month we'll all get to this in redemption. But in John 14, 9, he says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What is God like? He's like Jesus. And the reality of that began to become really important in last week's story. So in last week's story, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus stops by this uh, place where uh, a man had been invalid for 38 years. And he'd been spending quite a bit of time at this pool. And the superstition was that every now and then an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters of the pool. And it was like, first one to cannonball into the pool would be healed. Well, the problem was this guy was invalid and he was handicapped and he, could not, he couldn't get to the pool. He couldn't get there fast enough. Every time the water would stir and, and people suspect that it probably stirred because one pool of water was feeding into another and bubbles would come up and they superstitiously thought that was the angel doing something. But that would happen and he couldn't make it in time. And Jesus comes and he looks and there's all these different people who are blind and lame and, and invalid and paralyzed and all these different things. And out of that whole crowd, he picks this one man. And he says, do you want to be well? And the guy says, oh, I don't know if I can. And here's what Jesus says. He goes, get up, take your mat, and walk. And it happens. Up he goes. 
And he walks out of there. And this controversy ensues because Jesus had done this on the Sabbath, that one day that the Jews were supposed to rest. And so uh, because he was breaking the Sabbath, people were upset about this. They begin to question Jesus. And we saw this last week in John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It said, Jesus answered them. These were the Jewish leaders who, think about this. This guy's been unable to walk for 38 years. And their biggest problem is that it happened on Saturday. They question him about it. Jesus says, my father's working until now, and I am working. And then it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they see what Jesus does. They hear what Jesus says. He calls God father, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. If God's your father, you're saying you're equal to God. And so what we have in today's passage and then in the next passage in the Gospel of John that we're going to go through together, um, what we have is Jesus' explanation, Jesus' answer to that concern that he was making himself equal with God. And notice, at no point does Jesus go, whoa, 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 whoa. I wasn't saying that. You misunderstood me. No, instead he dives in deep. He says, here's who I am. And so we get a good sense of who Jesus is, that Jesus is in fact God, that if we want to know who God is, if we want a picture of God in our mind, it needs to be seeing Jesus. And so what we're going to see in this passage are five staggering claims of Jesus. These are the kinds of claims that would get somebody killed. Oh, wait, they did. Five staggering claims of Jesus, and then we're going to see three crucial implications for us in this story. So let me pray, and uh, we'll dive into these things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you right now for your word. Thank you for how you teach us. Thank you for your authority. Thank you for revealing to us who you are. And we pray that you would do that even now in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So five staggering claims of Jesus. I hope you have your Bible in front of you on your phone or in paper. Uh, You're going to want to follow along here with me. The first staggering claim of Jesus is this. Number one, I only do what the Father does. Jesus makes this staggering claim. I don't do what I want to do. I do what the Father does. Look at verses 19 and 20. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, and you'll notice actually three times in this story, Jesus will say, truly, truly. He's saying, I have something urgent. I have something important. Don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. That's an amazing thing when Jesus says, I I don't do anything on my own. I don't do anything that I just want to do. I do what I see the Father doing. I do what the Father does. I told you I've got a little guy, Hank. I I, I didn't mention this, but of the four kids, the first three are girls, and I love my girls. They are amazing. They're beautiful. They're just spectacular. They're strong, but it's pretty cool to end up with a little boy at the end. And uh, this little guy, like, like four-year-olds do, right? When he's 14, it'll be a different story. But he's, he's four right now, and he just wants to be like me, right? Like, so, so I have this kind of, you know, fiber cream that I'll put in my hair. And, he, and he'll put water in his hair, and he'll go, 
People go, Hank, why are you putting water in your hair? He goes, because I, I want to make mine fancy like daddy's. And I don't really have the courage to tell him that mine's not fancy, right? Like this is, this is the best great clips can buy, right? I mean, this is not fancy hair. But like to him, it's like, this is, dad, dad's the best. Or like there's times when I'll walk in to a room and he will have like our little end table and he'll be standing up on the little end table and saying, you need to believe in Jesus, right? Because he's preaching. Because he loves his daddy. Right, one time, uh, actually, uh, he was in the shower. He's kind of gotten the age now where he, he's old enough that we can put him in the shower and he can kind of you know, do his thing or whatever. And so uh, my wife opens up the door, he's done with the shower, opens up the door, and his, his mouth, his lip is bleeding. She's like, dude, what happened? He's like, well, I was shaving like daddy. <laughs> he goes, I, I mean, Hank's going, I, I only do what I see daddy doing, right? By the way, if, just pause here for a second. If you're a dad, or if you're a mom, but, but let me just talk especially to dads. They're watching. They do what we do. And every time that happens, I go, wow, that's so cool. And I go, oh, no, God help me. (laughs) Because he sees what I'm doing. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I do what the Father does. I'm not acting on my own. I'm doing what my Father, God, does. This is interesting. The emphasis here is not that Jesus is equal with God and independent with God. Right, that's how sometimes we think about it, is like you have the Father and you have the Son, and they're both equal, but they're independent. No, 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 this is saying they're equal, but united and interdependent. That's a staggering claim. Here's the second staggering claim of Jesus. Number two, I raise the dead and give life. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Did you notice the beginning of verse 21? As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. This is a staggering claim of Jesus. Listen to what it says in the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 32. It says this, God speaking, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me, Yahweh says, I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. God is saying, I'm God, there is no other, I'm God, there is none like me, and I alone, Yahweh says, has the power to raise people from the dead. But Jesus says, me too. What's he saying? I'm God. That's a staggering claim. It's interesting as well in verse 21 that it says, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Whom he will. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus has authority. Jesus is able to give life to whom he will. There was a multitude of people waiting there by the pool, and he picked one, and he raised him back to giving him his life. The man wasn't dead, but he was functionally dead. He was not able to work. He was not able to be around people. He was stuck, and Jesus, the God-man, gave him life, raised him like only God can. Third staggering claim of Jesus is this. I speak words that give life. I speak words, Jesus says, that give life. Look at verse 24. Here's another of those truly, truly statements. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, 
eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. That's quite a claim. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus speaks words that give life. Now get this, this is very important. This is not like some sort of new agey, law of attraction, power of positive thinking. Right? There's a lot of people who will kind of you know, coach you to say, hey, you need to not speak bad things because what you speak has the power to create your future. And I guess to some degree, we'd all go, yeah, well, that just kind of makes sense. I mean, if you dwell on sad, horrible things all the time, you're probably going to feel sad and horrible. If you dwell on encouraging things, you're going to probably feel a little more encouraged, right? That, that makes sense. But that's not what we're talking about here. This isn't speak it and good stuff happens, the power of positive thinking. That's just superstitious. This isn't Jesus going, I say great things and I hope they happen. This is Jesus saying, no, I speak and it happens. I say, get up, take your bed and walk and it happens. This is the story of Jesus that we've seen in the Gospel of John, right? If you've been tracking with us as we've been walking through the Gospel of John, you might remember that in John chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus was at the wedding and they ran out of wine. This was his first miracle. Aren't you glad you serve a God whose first miracle was to make the party better? Right? And this is a picture of how the, the kingdom of God is going to be a, a life of abundance, right? And, and when that problem arose, how did Jesus solve it? Did he say, oh, quick, I better get to the well and start filling up some water so I can turn it into wine? No. He just spoke. Fill the jars with water. And they did, and it became wine. Because Jesus speaks words that give life. In John chapter 4, verse 50, there was that man, that official, who came to Jesus because his son was at the point of death, and he wanted Jesus to come down to Capernaum, to walk 20 miles back with him, to lay his hands on his son and heal him. And Jesus says, I don't need to do that. And Jesus speaks, says, go, your son will live. And he was fine. Why? Because Jesus speaks and gives life to the man here in this story. Rise, take your bed, walk. Now, now think about this for just a moment. Who else has the power to speak and create? To speak and give life. Perhaps this might remind us of something we read in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. What is Jesus saying? He's God. Fourth staggering claim of Jesus is this. I have life in myself, Jesus says. Nobody gave me life. I, I have it in myself. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. This is basically saying that God the Father has always existed. No one ever, he didn't become God. He just has been God forever. Right? And, and honestly, it, it, I, don't, I don't get that. <laughs> Like if you go, well, that sounds hard to believe. It is. If that sounds, well, how did that happen? It is. Because everything else we know had a beginning, but not God. And here's what Jesus is saying. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus, too, is preexistent, has always been there, and he is alive. 
Uh, how's 2020 been for you? Pretty great. I, I describe 2020 as it's, it's like getting eaten by a duck. <laughs> right? like if I want to get eaten, if I have to get eaten by something, like how about the jaws of a lion just <laughs> right on my head, gone? But, but 2020 is like getting eaten by a duck. It's just... Right, just a little bit at a time, taking it out of you. And here's what 2020 has shown us, hasn't it? 2020 has shown us how little power we have over life. Think about your plans. (laughs) Plans. Remember those? Right? All the plans you made, all the things you intended to do. It's shown the fragility over our plans. It's shown the fragility even over our health. As cases and hospitalizations and deaths soar, and, and then all the other unintended consequences of that. And our lives, are, our lives are fragile. Our world feels fragile. And we've lived what Jesus has told us, that none of us can add even one hour to his life through our worry. But here's what Jesus says. I have power over life. I've always had life. I have life in myself. Jesus will go on to say, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down, and I'll take it back up again. Why? Because he is God. Finally, the fifth staggering claim of Jesus, before we look at some crucial implications for us, the fifth staggering claim of Jesus is this. I have the authority to judge all people. Go back up to verse 22. In verse 22, it says, The Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus has this role of judging humanity. Then it says this in verses 27 through 29. And he, that's the Father, has given him, the Son of Man, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who've done good to the resurrection of life, and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus says, I have the authority to judge all people. Some of you are like, well, yeah, me too. I judge people all the time. It's like one of my favorite things. Here's the difference. Jesus has the authority to judge people. Jesus is God. Jesus is man, the perfect man. He has the authority to judge. Who has the authority to judge humanity? God. So they're all upset. You're claiming to be equal with God. We want to arrest you. We want to kill you. Are you really saying you're equal with God? He goes, oh, believe me, I'm saying that. In five incredible ways. Now, what's the implication of that for us? Well, here are then three crucial implications for us. And I want to kind of start with where we just were, even though it's the end of the passage. The first implication for us is that we will all stand before the judgment of Jesus. Verse 29. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life, those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. All who are in the tombs. We will all, every single one of us, will stand before Jesus and face the judgment of Jesus. The great, the small, the powerful, the powerless, the oppressor, the oppressed, 
the important, the obscure, Americans and Swedes and Germans and Turks, Europeans and Asians and indigenous and Australians, everyone will stand before the judgment of Jesus. Something that happens uh, as a pastor, you know, from time to time, I, I am part of a funeral service through, with our church. You know, we have uh, some older saints who have gone to meet the Lord, and I'll have the privilege of getting to speak or help officiate at their uh, service. And, and one of the things I almost always do is I almost always quote Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It's one of the strangest verses in the Bible. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It says, it, it, and, and by the way, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who was the wisest person who ever lived. So the wisest person who ever lived says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Go, hold on a second. What? It, it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding? Right? Like if I just show of hands, how many of you would rather go to a funeral than a wedding? Not many. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. It's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. Why? Well, here's what the rest of that verse says. Because death is the end of every man, and the living will take it to heart. See, the blessing of a funeral is that you sit there and you look at this box with a person in it and you go, that's going to be me someday. And you realize that you will give account of your life to God. Every person. Joe Biden will stand before the judgment of God. So will Donald Trump. So will Vladimir Putin. So will Justin Bieber, so will Meryl Streep, so will Tom Hanks, so will your mom, so will you, so will I. We will give an account of our life to Christ. So if we're going to give an account of our life to Christ, if we're going to stand before the judgment of Jesus, then what, what else does Jesus want from us and what does Jesus want for us? Well, that's the other couple implications we see. Here's number two, second implication based on this reality that Jesus is God is that number two, we must marvel at and honor Jesus. We must marvel at Jesus. We must honor Jesus. Don't miss this in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me. You have your Bible there? It says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than all these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Jesus wants us to marvel at him. He also wants us to honor him. Look at that in verse 23. Why is he doing all this? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now, these two things, we must hold them together because, listen, there were plenty of people who marveled at Jesus. They saw him feed thousands of people. They saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. They, they heard his words and they went, wow, no one speaks with this kind of authority. People marveled at Jesus, but they didn't honor him. Listen, Jesus is not a carnival act. He's not a bearded woman. We're not just to marvel at him, we are to honor him. And, and the reality, this is why I love just kind of walking through the Gospel of John slowly, because as we walk through the Gospel of John, we, we see Jesus and we go, there is nobody like this man. In a world like we're in, where we're all just so afraid of, we gotta say the right thing, we gotta do the right thing. Oh, what does everybody think about this, about us? Jesus isn't like that. He's secure, he knows who he is. 
He knows what he came to do, and he's amazing to watch. I love this quote by uh, Tim Keller. He says, it's, it's kind of long, but this is so good. He says, Jesus is tenderness without weakness. Th- think about these words, how they juxtapose. He's tenderness without weakness. He's strength without harshness. Humility without the slightest lack of confidence. Unhesitating authority with complete lack of self-absorption. Unbending convictions without the slightest lack of approachability. Power without insensitivity. Enthusiasm without fanaticism. Holiness without Pharisaism. Passion without prejudice. Nothing he does falls short. The surprises you get when you read the life of Jesus are the surprises of perfection. This is life at its highest. When we stand before Jesus, what we will be evaluated on is, did we marvel at and honor Jesus? And what does it look like to marvel at and honor Jesus? Well, that's the third crucial implication for us this morning, and this is where we'll finish, is that we must listen to and believe Jesus. That's what it is to honor him, to marvel at him, is to listen to his words and believe what he says. Look at verse 24. Another truly, 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 I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is why John wrote the book. This is where we began the series, this idea that he said, I I, I wrote all these things, I told you these signs so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you would have life in his name. I want you to see and I want you to hear Jesus and I want you to believe him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me get this next word, has eternal life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you hear that? Notice Jesus does not say whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me will have eternal life, has eternal life. Get this. Eternal life does not start when you die. Eternal life starts now if you will listen to and believe in Jesus, if you will marvel and honor Jesus. It says in the next sentence, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Listen, you don't have to sit here and be afraid of standing before Jesus. The next funeral you go to, rather than being something that makes you go, oh man, what am I going to do if I have to stand before Jesus? You could actually have an answer to that now. You could have peace now. You could have life Now, whoever hears his voice and believes in him who sent him has, present tense, right this moment, has eternal life. In the midst of 2020, where you're getting eaten by a duck, you can have life. And so, sure, you'll have times when you're afraid, but not like everyone else is afraid. You'll have times when you're worried, but you don't have to be as worried as everyone else because you have life. And you'll have times when you'll be stretched and you'll be pushed and you'll be asked to do things that you do not have the strength to do. And you'll get through it because you have life in his name. See, Jesus is like nobody else. Jesus is God. He came to reveal who God is. 
He came to invite us to have the life that only he can give. And so today, even today, the scripture says, if you are hearing his voice, do not harden your heart, but come to him, trust him, acknowledge to him that you have looked to other things besides him to find life, and instead turn to him, trust him, ask him to give you a life that only he can give. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for Jesus. I love I love you, Jesus. I love how strong and how sweet, how brave and how meek. I love your wisdom. And I'm so thankful that you love me and you love us. And so God, we pray that you would give us faith to hear your voice and believe what you say. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.